The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 22nd chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. In the history of the God of the Bible and God's people, both God's people of the first covenant, that is to say the Jews, and God's people of the newer covenant, that is to say Christians, both have often had a terribly hard time remembering something that the Bible, in covenants both old and new, goes to great lengths to make terribly clear, and that is that loving God is not just about loving God. And so in the Old Testament, those people who were known as the prophets and they spoke, they boldly claimed, I mean, think of this, they, prophets said they are not speaking their own words. A prophet said, I'm speaking words that God gave me personally to speak right now to you. The prophets saved some of their boldest, boldest, thus says the Lord, proclamations for those times in Israel's history when the people of God were living their lives acting as though the only thing being religiously faithful meant was going to church and doing religious things. And so the prophet Amos, who was arguably the boldest of the bold when it came to this point, told the people whom God had chosen and whom God loved that God did not love, that God hated how these people gathered there in the religious assemblies in the house of God and offered their religious offerings to God and sang their religious songs praising God and then left to live the rest of their lives ignoring the desires of God. In response to which Amos in our reading for today says, thus says the Lord. That's how prophets talk. Thus says the Lord. I hate I despise your religious festivals and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And in case that wasn't clear enough, which as it turns out, it wasn't clear enough, Amos went on later to say that God also said, I abhor the prideful ways of those who sit in their rich houses, lounge in their rich furniture, eat their rich food, drink their rich wine, but who are oblivious to the suffering of those all around them. And the suffering Amos and the other prophets too were talking about was the suffering of the poor. And the particular poor they most often specifically mentioned 
were those in those days who were not just poor, but they were terribly vulnerable, for there was nothing resembling a safety net between them. And so the prophets often and again would mention the specific needs of the widow, the orphan, and the alien in your midst. God, the prophets again and again said, is not impressed when the people of God ignore the needs of people. Which I point out not to pass one bit of judgment or seemingly to stand seemingly somehow above our forebears and first cousins in the faith who are Jews, for the fact is that in the history of Christians... God's chosen people of the new covenant, the covenant established by those with those who believe that we are are made right with God by grace through the sacrifice Jesus made and the victory Jesus won for us, saved by grace through faith. Christians throughout history have too often too shown the very same stubborn blindness and indifference, even though the greatest preachers of the new covenant and of grace were as clear about it as were Amos and the prophets. And so Jesus, in our gospel reading for today, when religious people upset at him for not being religious enough, especially as judged by the way he consistently hung around with the unreligious, with all of their ink and their piercings and their foreign accents and their questionable morals and their suspect sexual histories, religious people set a theological trap for Jesus by asking him what was the greatest commandment that there is in Scripture, which they knew, and they were right, was the commandment to love God with all your heart and all your strength, all your mind, all your soul, which they knew would mean staying away from the kinds of people Jesus had been acting all chummy with, namely sinners who were living their lives far from God. Jesus replied by telling them that the greatest commandment is actually two commandments. Yes, yes, of course, love the, God with, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but two, love your neighbor as yourself, which he said was not done by judging people, but by forgiving them, which he took to mean in his case not turning from sinners, but turning finally toward a cross and his death for sinners. St. Paul, who a few decades later would do more than any Christian ever in the history of Christians theologically to articulate the fact that in Christ and his cross we are made right in our relationship with God as a gift by grace, not by what we've done to be better than other people, but by the forgiveness of our sins, which he said, for each and every one in our own ways, whether it is in public or private ways, our sins are as sinful as the sins of any people there are. St. Paul, making the gospel truth clearer than anybody has ever made it clear, the gospel truth that we are saved by grace through faith, not by one thing that we do. Nevertheless, and in the history of the Christian faith, we're the ones who stubbornly refuse to remember this. Nevertheless, Paul said, and said terribly clearly, just because we're saved by grace, not by anything we do, that doesn't mean there aren't in the eyes of God terribly important things for us to be doing. And if you are here last week, you heard Romans 12, where Paul talked about that by talking about, about worship, specifically what he called the spiritual acts of worship, 
spiritual worship, not only including what we do and say here on a Sunday to praise Jesus for an hour, but also what we do and say every hour of every day when we leave here to be what he called the body of Christ, the hands and the feet and the mouth and the desires of Jesus alive in us, in the world God so loved he gave his son. And what does this love for, for, for the world, alive in the world, through us, look like out there in the world? Well, last week, you may recall, Paul gave us just this whole dis- list of descriptions of what that might be like. Today, in Romans 13, he gives us the baseline, bottom line of, of what is beneath all of those descriptors. Love for God, he says, ever, ever, always. Looks like love for people. Or his exact words. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. The Old Testament prophets Jesus in the Gospels, Paul in his letters, they all said it. Loving God isn't just about coming here to act or talk about how much we love God. Loving God is about leaving here to love our neighbors. Which leads us here today to Gloria Day Lutheran Church, a congregation which on its signs and its letterheads and its email blasts and its Facebook posts and its web designs introduces itself to itself and to the world by saying that we are gathered by grace and scattered for service. Gathered by grace. This is a church that knows that to be the church that calls Jesus Lord is to be a church bathed in and glowing with grace. Unearned and unconditional love in a world whose people, including many of its religious people, including too many who identify as Christian people, are so full of so much not grace. But that is not the case, so we claim and so we strive, albeit imperfectly, that is not the case here. We, we say, are gathered by grace, which means all are welcome here. And this is kind of novel in the world of churches. When we say all, what we mean is all. And, And you can come here as you are. You don't need to put a mask on or dress up or dress right or dress straight. And sinners are not shamed here. We, we are forgiven. And who is better or holier or more righteous or more perfect than whom is not a look down your nose at one another game that we play here because we preach Christ here who for love left the holy perfection of heaven to come down to a cross beneath which on level ground we gather together to thank and praise him washed and clothed in the perfect righteousness that is alone his righteousness given to us. We, we claim and strive, albeit imperfectly, to be gathered by grace. But too we go on to say we are scattered for service. Which is to say 
that we are not a church where we huddle behind church walls around bread and wine and coffee and bars while we hold hands and sing kumbaya and feel all spiritually goosebumpy about how amazing grace is here and then we leave and say see y'all again at church next Sunday. We are people who leave here knowing that we aren't gathered by grace just to come to church. We're gathered and gifted and fueled by grace to go into the world as the body of Christ to be the church through which justice is extended to all and love does reach to all through our words, our deeds, our mouths, and specifically we remember today, our hands. Hands like the hands that make prayer shawls and mission quilts that are handed out in the community and throughout the world. Hands like the hands that in the last few weeks have written several thousand dollars in checks already and will write more to help Lutheran disaster relief workers help those whose lives have been devastated by hurricanes. Hands like the hands of the man who handed me a check for $400 this week because I had just mentioned almost in passing that there was a woman with five children and their power had been turned off and the situations, circumstances of why that happened just broke my heart. But the fund that I have to assist people like that was depleted. Well, two hours later, the check walked into my office. Hands like the hand that makes sure there are always freezer meals in our freezer that we can give away to anyone who needs them, and we do. Hands like the hands that make sure that little free pantry out there remains stocked and, fo- and with food that is free for the taking. Hands like the hands of those who prepare and serve um, Ronald McDonald House meals for those families of children who are in town and they're battling illness or injury. Hands like the hands of those who prepare and serve free lunches for the homeless and the poor in our community and weekend lunches for school children. Send them home with them because without those, they might not eat at all over the weekend. Hands like the hands of those who bake pies and then bring them to church today to be sold to delighted Lutherans who get to eat pie for good as all the money you give for a piece of pie is given to the common fund which helps people in our community that help the poor Hands like the hands of those who visit our shut-ins with Holy Communion and with hugs and with prayers. Hands like the hands of those who've already heard, and we just decided this about two days ago. Hands like those who've already heard that we're planning a servant trip to Houston area in early January, and they have said, I'm in, even before we've actually gotten this organized, and the, the planning committee hasn't even met. We just said we're going to do this, and we've rented a bus. Hands like the hands of those who mow their elderly neighbor's lawn and shovel her walks. And every single day they pick up the phone and they call her just because they feel like somebody should, just to make sure she's awake and up and around today. Hands like the hands of those who make posters to hold up as they attend rallies in support of dreamers whom they strongly believe are among the vulnerable aliens in our midst today who are unjustly being singled out, stereotyped, and marginalized. And hands like the hands of those of you who on this God's work, our hands Sunday at Glory Day and throughout the ELCA will do the things that we do today to remind ourselves and show our neighbors that we, something we pray might be true about us every day, 
mean, if it's just a one-day thing, God, God forgive us. We, we, we do some things today that we hope prove some things that are true about us every day, and that is that we believe that we are called by our God of love and grace to be generous stewards of our time and our talents and our resources to make a hands-on, grace-filled, loving difference for good in our community and in our neighborhoods, in our homes, in our schools, in our workplaces, and our world. In what we called our grace gatherings, not all that long ago, we, get, we gathered Glory Day members together and asked about what they love about their church and what they think God might be dreaming for our church. And one thing we discovered is that one thing most Gloria Day members really do like most about their church is that there are just all kinds of ways in which we feel that Gloria Day members do make a hands-on difference for good in the world. But we discovered something else too. As much as, as we like the many odd things that we do, we discovered that we would like also to, and we believe we can, and we believe God is leading us to do more. Because why? Because we're the church. And the church is the body of Christ. And in the body of Christ's hands are our hands. Next month comes the 500th anniversary of Martin Luther and, and his uh, historically faithful work of calling the church, Christ's church, back to its foundation of amazing grace and a God who does not reward or save people for the good things they've done, but as a gift made known in the things Jesus does for us. But Luther nevertheless totally understood that a graced church is nevertheless too called by grace to make a loving difference in God's world. With just a few short quotes of his, I'm going to let Brother Martin finish the sermon today. To serve God is nothing else than to serve your neighbors and to do good to them in love, be it a child, wife, servant, enemy, friend. If you do not find yourself among the needy and the poor where the gospel shows us we will find Christ, then you may know that your faith is not right and that you have not yet tasted of Christ's benevolence and work for you. For God does not need your good works, but your neighbor does. For the whole being of any Christian is faith and love. Faith brings the person to God. Love brings the person to people. Amen.